Welcome. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to create and publish your podcast. It's free. That's right, free to download. With built-in tools to help you record and edit your podcast from your cell phone or any smart device. Anchor also distributes your podcast on virtually any platform that streams podcasts, like Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Apple and Google Podcasts, and many more. You can even monetize your podcast with no minimum listenership. Anchor is your one-stop app for podcasting. Remember, it's free. Go to anchor.fm to create some amazing content. Powered by Riverside. Welcome to the Trigger Warning Talk podcast, where we have uncensored conversations, we exchange information, and we provide a ton of resources for all the listeners and the viewers of this podcast. We are streaming on all major platforms. We definitely want to thank you all for joining us today on this extremely important topic that we're going to be talking about with our esteemed guest, who's going to be speaking in a few moments. I just got a you know, give her all her props and her flowers. I'm your host, LP. If you are triggered at any point during this podcast, which is sponsored by Anchor, produced by Pen and Pen and Consultant Solutions, LLC, please call 911. That's the most important thing that you can do. If you are having an emergency, wherever you are, it could be at home, it could be at church, it could be wherever you're listening and are watching this podcast when it airs. Call 911 that starts the documentation process, that starts everybody that needs to get involved at that particular point can get involved by making that simple phone call. If you don't have an immediate need, we'll have a list of numbers and websites that you can contact for help, such as the domestic violence, the sexual assault, and the trafficking hotline and website. If you have substance abuse issues, whether it be alcohol and or drugs, we have Al-Anon for those that are supporters. We have Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous for those that have issues with those typical, those two issues. And if you are suicidal at any point, or you know somebody that's suicidal, or you're aware of a suicidal issue, call 988. Again, that's 988. That's the national hotline that's set up for suicide issues. Today is a great day. We're going to welcome our guest, Janelle Santana Sims, founder of JS Self-Care. She's a social worker. She's a certified life coach. She's an advocate for the effects of parental substance abuse. She's a Narcan trainer. So we'll talk about that, you know, because, you know, your brother is a paramedic. So we're going to talk about opioid addictions and different things like that. She's a certified recovery peer advocate and a certified addiction recovery coach. She has so many skills. I can't read your whole CV, Janelle. I want to, but I can't. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have some links listed in the show notes where people can get in touch with you. Towards the end, you're going to talk about all of that in our shameless plug section. And, you know, people are going to be like, wow, you know what? If I need help, I'm going to seek help. And if I go seek help, Janelle's going to be one of my first resources unless it's an immediate need. So for those that are watching, 
if you look at the streaming ticker at the bottom, the title of today's show is Transitioning to Self-Care After DV and SV, DV is Domestic Violence, SV is Sexual Violence. And it's a play on Janelle's website because her website is uh, it, it's, uh, jsselfcare.org. And I was looking at the name on her page and I think the first thing I saw, it, uh, it said something about transitioning. And I was like, that's a great title for a show because self-care is so important on so many levels. So we're going to talk about some of those things. But first, I want to introduce Janelle to the audience and I want to thank you so much for being part of the Trigger One to Talk podcast. Ms. Janelle, what's going on with you? Hello, everyone. I want to thank you, LP, for having me on your platform. Self-care is so, so important. And my job is to help you get rid of the glitz and glam surrounding self-care. We all believe self-care is getting your hair and nails done. Um, going to spas, going on retreats, doing all these amazing things that we love to do for ourselves. And understanding that when we do these amazing things for ourselves, we still are broken. And the reason why we're still broken is because there's some unresolved issues that we chose to get over instead of getting through. So it's very important that we learn how to get through things. Now, you're probably saying, "Why? how do I get through things? I'm okay. I'm fine. We all want to be okay and fine. But those things that we got over, guess what they did to us? They showed up in our behaviors. So I know I've asked a million times, why do I behave the way I do? I know you've asked, why do you behave the way you do? Well, the answer is something happened to you that built up that defense mechanism. Like, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this because you don't want to relive that trauma. So that's basically what I do and how I do it. I just help people take care of themselves from the inside to the outside, not vice versa, where most of us think we take we should take care of ourselves from the outside to the inside. Explain why that's important and, and what, from your point of view, as a licensed and certified professional, why do you stress that difference? And explain it because a lot of people don't look at it as a difference. So the difference is I want you guys to show up authentically you. I know the buzzword is I'm real. I keep it a hundred, but do we really? The answer is no. And that's to be honest. And I'm including myself in some areas of my life because even though I'm the profession in this, I'm not the total expert, right? I don't know everything I'm learning. But what I say is the inside, meaning our mind, body, and soul. Those are things that we don't see, right? When you say the outside, that's going to get your hair done, looking pretty, showing up and showing out. That's the outside. I want people to look at me. I want people to show that I'm this strong woman. And in the back, I'm like, I'm the weakest person, right? Oh my God, why is this? And these 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 visions and stuff come to us when we're sleeping. At nighttime, when it's bedtime, no one to talk to. So when I say from the inside, I want us to learn to get to create a relationship with ourselves. Learn to love ourselves, the good and the bad part about ourselves. That's inside work. 
you can't do it so much at the outside. So that, that makes me think of, you know, self-care versus self-love. Self-care is an action word, something you're going to do to take care of you. Like you said, before the show started, if someone is feeling triggered, uneasy, unsafe, call 911. We feel these feelings. We need to act on them. That's the self-care thing to do is do it. Call. Make the call so that we can be mentally prepared for what is coming our way. That's what we need to do. Pick up the phone. Call a therapist. Call your pastor. Whatever your belief system is, utilize that system to help you get through those things that you've been through. That could be sexual assault, physical abuse, emotional abuse, all of those things that we feel after the effect, right? This happened to me. Now, what am I going to do? We got so much that we're going to cover in this next hour. So I just want to jump right into it because Janelle is a person who is my sister and she and I can talk every day and twice on Sunday about all kinds of stuff. So I want to be having her come back on a regular basis too, because again, there's just so many things that we can talk about under this umbrella of mental health and public health, because we talk about domestic violence. We talk about sexually based offenses, human and sex trafficking. At the end of this podcast, we're going to cover a missing person case right here in the home state that I'm in, in North Carolina, a young lady, her name is Pretty Ashley Porter. And we're going to talk about that. I'll show you her missing person flyer and read some of that information about her because she's been missing since 09. And that's part of what we do. Janelle, I want to rewind the clock back. You have posted on your website that uh, back in 03, you began working as a social worker. What made you become a professional in mental health? To be honest, I knew I wanted to be someone that is working in the helping field. When I started, um, I went to college, of course, because as a therapist, you have to have a college degree. Um, life experiences work amazingly, but you need this piece of paper to open doors for you, right? And I call it a piece of paper because that's literally what it is. Um, as I didn't want to be a social worker, I wanted to be a New York city police officer. So what happened was you needed a two year degree, which was associate's degree, which in, I had because my goal was I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to do my 20 years, retire. I'm out of there. Um, I went through the agility test, the psychological, I did everything I needed to do to be a police officer, took the test, passed, but like a 95 could do the job. Um, during that time, I live in New York City. I was living in New York City. I live in New York. And during that time, police were getting hurt. I knew I wanted to have a family. I wanted a child. So I backed up off of becoming a police officer. So I said, well, what I'm going to do, still in college, now getting my bachelor's degree, and um, I started working um, with foster children, children in foster care. That worked out. I didn't like what I've done um, as far as we place children out of unsafe homes. And some of the children we place back into unsafe homes, called foster parents home. 
children were getting molested and it, it wore a toll on me because I was like, I removed this child from a parent that's just using drugs mm-hmm. who mentally tormented the child. But then I moved this child into a home where they were sexually abused. Oh. Um, I then got into prevention because of that, where I'm able to keep the families at home and provide therapy in the home, but keep the families intact. I love what I do. I love helping people. So I knew from day one that I wanted to be in the helping field. I thought it was being a police officer, but it really wasn't. It was becoming a social worker. Okay. When you got into social work in the greater New York area, did you cover all five boroughs or were you covering tri-state? So when you work in New York City, you assign cases in all five boroughs. It's not a borough per case. Um, I work in Orange, I mean, I work in Dutchess County. It's different, it's per county. So upstate New York does social work per county. In New York City, we cover all five boroughs. Okay. And for you being a person who's working with these individuals, these clients, are they clients or patients? What do you call Clients. Clients. For the clients that you're working with in all five of these boroughs, what would you say the ratio uh, is or was at that time from uh, social, excuse me, from domestic violence to sexual traumas? I would say the ratio probably was 50-50 because you you get different walks of life, but as you're talking to the client, you're realizing that they went from domestic violence to DV. Like they would fit all the categories of abuse because even though we focused on the children, keeping them safe, we also had to focus on the parents so that they could reunite with their children. These parents had childhood trauma, sexual trauma, things that people don't understand. Like, well, if you were sexually abused, why would you allow someone else to sexually abuse your child? That's not the way it goes. That's people who never experienced sexual abuse would look at it. Well, if this happened to you, why would you let that happen to me? So I would say about 50%. You you would get a scope of trauma in like one bag with one client. Sad, but very true. You know, I interviewed a guy, and you know who this is, Will Kesselman. He's an investigator that works with the Law and Order SVU detectives. And so uh, we were talking about a lot of the things that he does and sees in his line of work. He's not a detective. He's an investigator, but he works hand in hand with the SVU detectives. For you, do you work alongside those SVU detectives also? Okay, so absolutely. We work alongside judges, lawyers, doctors, detectives, um, local police, because all of these things matter. Whenever you remove a child, let's just say for sexual abuse, my very first case was where a nine-year-old was sexually abused by her stepfather. Mom would say that someone was climbing in the window which they weren't. And it was really her husband um, touching her daughter. 
okay. um, we we um, as we investigated, we had to take because of the removal, we had to take the children out of the home, which prompted us to go to the to the hospital. When we went to the hospital, the abrasions, the pictures were very very horrific. You know, I want to give a shout out to you and the work that you're doing. This is the Trigger One to Talk podcast. We are sponsored by Anchor, produced by Pen Pen and Consulting Solutions, LLC, Chanel Santana Sims. She has a bunch of the licenses and certifications from social work to Narcan trainer to certified life coach. The list goes on and on. And we are so thankful that it goes on and on and on. And we want you to continue to add to your alphabet soup. So <laughs> I'm going to be on you just like I'm on Coach K. I just want you to, I'm going to put that out there. That's a whole nother conversation. But anyway, <laughs> if you're triggered at any point, look, don't, don't start laughing, Janelle. You're messing me up. Okay. Uh, if you are triggered at any point during this podcast, please call 911. If you don't have an immediate need, there are going to be some numbers listed in the show notes for you to call. We're going to be talking about a lot of heavy, heavy stuff today. So if you're triggered, just be aware that you're in the right place because we can help. We're talking about transitioning to self-care from domestic violence and sexual violence. Janelle, you know what I thought about the other day when I was doing some prepping? I said to myself, Janelle must see the worst of the worst of the worst because you're dealing with adults and children. Now, typically on our show, and because it's uncensored, this is adults talking to adults. So it's real talk. Say what it is, it is what you say. We're going to focus on some of that that you focus on when it comes to children. With children, compared to adults, what is the ratio of children to adults that you have as clients? The ratio is it'll be a parent can have nine children okay. and five Nine children, a, a mother or a father. Okay. So. With these kids that you're talking with, when they, when they come to you or when you have them assigned to you, what are some of the top five things that they say to you in terms of the sexual trauma that they've experienced? In the beginning, they don't talk about it. So you have to, as a social worker, what a lot of people don't know is you have to speak to clients. You have to engage with them. Mm -hmm. And then after a while, you'll hear about trauma. So if it's immediate trauma that we have to react because a child was abused, a child is bleeding or something like that, it's different from like trauma that you don't see. So you have to talk. And sometimes it takes months to find out this child is being abused. And that's when we make the calls to the authorities right away. Um, once someone says, I've been sexually abused, we call the police. They have to do the investigation part. Even okay. though CPS does an investigation, but we're not at the level of police investigations. Okay. So PD is automatically called in. Immediately. Uh, Immediately. And then because it, at that point, it's called a crime committed. Okay, right. So for those crime victims, and I'm doing air quotes, um, 
when you encounter them with the police, what has been your experience with those officers? Because all police officers don't have the crisis intervention training. I'm wondering how is it in the five boroughs or all of those officers, or at least those that respond to that, that type of call, do they have the CIT? I'm going to be honest with you. No, they don't know. A lot of people think police officers are mental health, are mental health trained. They're not. Let's yeah. be clear. They're Thank police. You. They're learning law in in police academy. We're not learning. And I'm telling you this because I've been through the, you know, I've applied to be a police officer. You don't learn therapy as a police officer. So people tend to blame the police, but we have to understand that they don't know. They don't have um, the training capacity. They have the investigation. They investigate and make arrests. That is the role of a police officer. That is why they're trying to implement more mental health workers and so that we could find out what is going on with these children, what is going on with these adults, and how can we best help. I know um, this may be a shocker to people listening because you're probably saying, what do you mean, Janelle? What do you mean, LP, that they're not trained? They're not. Paramedics are not trained in mental health. They are there to go there. They're there. You guys are there to go there uh, and send the client to the hospital where there's a doctor. Doctors not trained in mental health. A lot of people perceive that, you know, every helping field knows it all and they don't. They don't. They, a, param- a doctor does not go to social work school Sorry. or mental health school. A doctor goes to medical school. Different. But I know this comes off as, you know, I try to tell people, stop blaming every entity of the helping field for not being an expert in 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 the 360 realm. You know, like we know everything. We don't. Like if somebody is murdered, if there's a dead body there, I, I couldn't help them because I'm a social worker. I need a live body to talk to, okay. you know? So to look at it like that, like if I'm calling the paramedics for my refrigerator going out, the paramedic cannot help me with a motor for my refrigerator. I have to call the refrigerator repairman, right? That's right. Look at it like that. Because we all think that everybody knows everything. I got to call the right person for the right situation. I'm calling the police because I go on this visit. There's a dead body. There's nothing I can do. I cannot counsel a dead body. That's right. I, if the body is alive and I'm talking to the person and we're sitting there talking about trauma, then that is my field, you know? Absolutely. So it's just to clear that up with all listeners that our helpers, some may not be there to help, but most of us in this field are there to help, but we don't know everything and we have to be willing to learn you know if it's a culture a home that i go to with a culture i have to say i don't know can you teach me i'm very honest with my clients if i don't know can you teach me can you teach me that's a great question because and i I love that you laid out how 
just because you are a professional that responds to a 911 call, we don't have all the answers. We don't have all the training. That's a big reason that I started this podcast. I'm going to tell everybody something for those that may not have heard it in previous episodes. One of the reasons why the Trigger Want to Talk podcast is in existence today is, excuse me, I'm a man who is a paramedic. I've gotten one official in service since 2006. That's when I got into EMS and I retired in 2020. We had one training at the firehouse because I worked at the firehouse and in the uh, private EMS service. One training in 2019. And one of my questions, because I had two questions after that in-service was over with. I thank the guy for coming in and showing the PowerPoint presentation. And I asked him a question about some of the stats that he had on the PowerPoint. I raised my other hand and I I turned around and I looked at all the fire medics that were in the room, including some of the white shirts. And I said, I have a problem and we have a problem and they were like what i said well my question is why are we just learning this now because all of us in this room right now are mandated reporters right everybody was like right and i said how many red flags have we missed i know just looking at this powerpoint thing i missed probably a gang of them because i didn't have this information until today i'm talking about going up and there are people in that room that go back to the 90s the early 90s in their EMS and fire career. I just started in 20, 2006. This was 2019. I'm like, so how many red flags have we missed? You know, and it's, I'm not, and I told them, I'm not questioning you all. I'm asking a question to you all because I can't bring the training in. That's not my job. That's your job to give us these in-services. Like when we do trainings for cardiovascular stuff or pediatrics or one thing that you are trained in the use of Narcan, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. I want to jump back to the domestic and the sexual trauma. Uh, When you're consulting these children, what are some of the other things that they do share with you historically from what you've been told? A lot of things that we've been told it's generational, like the generational curses. You won't know these things by looking at a person. As you dig in deeper, you know, people like, oh, you sold your child to a man or it's not that it's more. It's more of I'm trying to use my words correctly. It's more of a person not knowing what love is. So a lot of people think do whatever for love, right? Mm -hmm. Is it right? No. But you want to hear from the client why they did this or why did they mother do it to them? You know, a lot of children, you know, the uncles, the added uncles and stuff. You got to wonder why this is happening because it has happened in that parent's childhood. A lot of things are passed down. I was raped by my uncle and no one did anything. You know, people say things like that. And then it's, so my daughter was raped. So what? Is that normal to feel that way? Maybe not to us, right? Right. But that's their norm. That is their norm. 
So you gotta, you'll hear stories like that and you gotta mind, don't come from a judgmental space. Come from a space of, okay, so this was your norm growing up. What could we do to change that norm? And that's where therapy comes in at. That's where people realizing that what happened to you wasn't right. That's right. That's important to tell a person. No, it was not right. Maybe people swept it under the rug and didn't believe you, but no, it wasn't right. What right. happened to you was wrong. Don't say, well, what happened to your child is wrong because you got to start at the root of things. And I do know that a lot of social workers were paid to go and fix the problem. The state is paying us. This is happening. But just take time to hear what they're saying. That doesn't mean don't call 911. That doesn't mean don't call the the rape hotline. That doesn't mean these things. What it means is listen and be open-minded to hear what they're saying. The uh, And allow the authorities to do what they need to do, but you want to gain that trust from the people that's telling you all of these traumas. People were physically abused. And they, they started becoming a prostitute because their pimp loved them so much. And then he physically abused them. So think about that. You know, the pimp is with them and then they turn, then they want, once they be with them for a long time, they then turn them to their friends. And then now they're prostitute. And you got to get to the root of all of this because from sexual trauma, these people sometimes fall in love with the perpetrators. And the perpetrators also fall in love with the children and the adults that they hurt. Weird, but um, when I got into into this position that I'm in, there's a program called the RISK program. So in the RISK program, we take lie detector tests and we find out why you did what you did, the why. So the perpetrator has to speak about their feelings and sometimes their wife and husband are with them. And they're saying at these meetings, I fell in love with my daughter. I touched my daughter. And we want to know how you touched her. I touched her breast. I touched her genital. I touched genital areas. I touched this private part. Okay, how did that make you feel? It made me feel good. It made me feel yucky. And we want the mate to be like, you listening to this person say that they fell in love with your daughter or son, and you are okay with it. Yes, they are okay with it. Mm -hmm. And we're probably like, oh, they're sick. No, they need therapy to understand that it's not okay. Do you go into the school system? Or or these? Oh, we go, we visit schools. We are everywhere. Wherever you are, we are. Because um, we have to get, you know, report cards sometimes a child that's an overachiever could be abused at home and they just want scholarships to go to college to get away from their abuse. That's a then great point. Some, some children, their grades decline, like who was an overachiever is now like receiving Fs. Now, also the teachers, they're not trained in mental health. I'm going to say it again. The teachers yeah. are not trained. A teacher will just fail you and not go, not look back to say, this child has been doing so well. Something is going on. Something declined. Teachers, 
they're overworked as well and just doing stuff. But you will find that one teacher be like, something is not right. And then you'll find that principal be like, look, call a hotline, leave it alone. We have kids to teach. Instead of saying, sit down with that, that student, find out what's going on, investigate. You're not a professional investigator, but that child is comfortable with you. I'm glad that you stated that because, again, we know that teachers deal with so much. And again, everybody's not trained in everything, especially mental health. When the pandemic hit from then in 2020 to now, did you see a rise in domestic violence and sexual violence? Absolutely. Okay. Now, you know where the statistics are coming from? Where is that? People who have been married to people for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we meet our partners before COVID. I'm talking before COVID. Okay. We met these partners. We loved them for years, but we really didn't know who they really were. Right. Because you meet your partner, you go to work, they go to work. So y'all spend home time. Y'all go on little vacations for a week. Now we told lovers who's been together for 30 years, now you're going to sit with that person. Sit in the house. It's COVID. We have a pandemic. We got to create the bell curve, right? We got to, it's up here. We got to bring it down. So we got to sit people down. Now they're like, I did not know I was married to this monster. Mm. My husband, my wife never beat me. Now they're beating me. What is going on? Is because we know a person to a certain extent. That's right. So domestic violence went up drastically. That's, you know, when you say that, it really hits home for me because prior to the pandemic, since I, I mean, I'm 51 now, I retired in 2020, so I was 49. I worked since I was 16. You know, I never worked in the home until 2021, actually, 2021, because that's when we started the company. My wife, you know, Mrs. LP, she's been working virtually for, I think, the last six years or so. And she was working partially, part-time virtually back in 09 when we first met. So for her, and because she's an introvert, it's like, oh, man, you guys need to catch up. I I love working virtually and stuff. I knew the type of person she was because she worked from home. It didn't matter. It didn't change or whatever. When I started working from home, and it's still an adjustment for me because I'm so used to suited and booted, lights and sirens, let's go. Now I'm like, okay, I got to plan my day out. I'm at home. I can take a break when I want to. You know, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I don't want to work on this podcast. because I want to sit on the couch binge watching something on Netflix and picking the lint out of my belly button today. You know, <laughs> yeah. but I got all this stuff I got. to. I got to edit this podcast. I got to do this. I got to get trained for this and that. It didn't cause a problem between us in terms of any violence or abuse situations. However, it was a significant change that I had to make an adjustment to. And I believe she did, too, because of course. She was used to seeing me not at the, you know, at the firehouse. I'm gone, gone. 
we did 48 hour shifts, two days on, four days off. And then at the EMS service, I was working minimum 24 hours a month, but I was working probably four to five days a week. And so now seeing me home more, she loved that and it worked for us. However, everybody's not like that. And like you said, I love the but fact think that of the arguments you guys had. You know, I, even that's though what I, was you... say. I love the fact that you said they didn't know that this person was the monster that they started to recognize because when you go at home, sometimes people have a whole different persona. Mm -hmm. Because whole... you're going and coming. You're right. going and coming. Like you said, your wife was used to being at home. So she was fine. She like, okay, pandemic. You like, what the heck? Right. What is going on? Even with your children. You're like, Oh my God. I remember when I had to be with you from birth to five years old, but when you went to school, I got used to you being in school, right? <laughs> now you're like, oh my goodness. You know, your thoughts think, your feet think, you curl your feet because now everything is aggravating you because you have no other choice but to pay mind to every little thing because you're on lockdown. You can't go nowhere. <laughs> you can't go outside. So now we actually got the chance to meet people. Now, we want to be fair, right? Domestic violence went up. Sexual abuse went up. But guess what else went up? People became entrepreneurs. If you notice, every McDonald's everywhere is hiring, right? That's right. People also learn to love their loved ones who didn't know how to, like, I really like this guy or I really like this do dog or I really like this woman or I really like the bird in the house. The bird used to be so annoying, but now I got used to the bird because remember, if you got a bird in your house and it's chirping, you hear it in the morning, maybe at night on your way out. But now you got to sit with that daggone bird or that dog or that cat. And you're like, I really like this animal. Like I really got close to my animal. So the pandemic, what it taught us is one, that we live with deviant people <laughs> that are off the hook and out of control. And then two, I learned myself. I learned to love myself because I had no other choice but to sit with myself and my thoughts. So the pandemic for me was a great time. I don't, and, and then it was a rough time. And you yeah. can have both of those emotions. You know, Absolutely. I don't like to be controlled. So when the government controlled me, I didn't like it. But it helped me build a business. I was in business before the pandemic. I went in business in 2019, the beginning. So right before the pandemic. So you got to understand that I got to build a business. I got to meet LP. I got all these amazing things out of it. So it wasn't horrible. Just a FYI, we still got people that's so scared um, to come out. Um, they caught it, they have anxiety called glorophobia anxiety, where now they can't come out because they're scared of COVID. So it's like layer after layer of trauma that we are experiencing. And for us and for you, we get vicarious trauma. Because everything we hear from a client or every time you go on a 911 call, you get re-traumatized from something that happened before or 
you know, you did everything you could to save a life and you couldn't. I know that all too well. There are times where I'll do pre-interviews. And the reason I do a pre-interview is because I know who I am. And there are times in some of these pre-interviews that I've done where I'm like, thank you for doing the pre-interview because I'm sitting there and I'm tapping myself, you know, because I'm like, whoo, that was some heavy stuff. I wasn't ready for all that, you know, and I, there was one pre-interview I did and I put her interview out before our sister, Cynthia, uh, you know, she was talking about her trauma and man, I'm talking about, I was like, I need a moment, Richard. I was like, hold on a second. I'm let's just pause because she made me start crying, and then a few minutes later, I made her start crying, and it was just like it was one just one of those things because we're human beings. We're not thank you. I keep saying it all the time. We're not one cell amoebas, we're not cyborgs, we're not robots. And when we come into these trauma situations, and for the listeners and the watchers of this, I can't emphasize it enough. Every time you go on a 911 call, if you are a good provider. You are putting yourself in that situation as someone who's not only an advocate, but you are also in the mindset of I want to do everything that I can do right. I want to do everything that I can do that's just. I want to do everything that I can do to help. And I want to treat this person like the human being that they deserve to be treated as. You can't do that and be cynical. You can't do that and be stoic. You can be professional, but I'm telling you, when I go home, I'd be like, man, I just saw this baby that we couldn't resuscitate after working on him for an hour. After a 14-hour shift, I may have had three or four other cardiac arrests that I had to do. I may have had two or three car wrecks that I had to extricate somebody from. Imagine doing that Every single shift, every time you put on a uniform, it can wear on you. So people like yourself, you always say it. I got my own therapist because I'm and I need it. And every I good mental health professional has their own mental health professional. Please talk. You have about to. It. I am. I'm first. I'm gonna salute you for saying that we're we are humans. Please listen. We are humans. If you cut us, we bleed just like you. That's right. Now, the importance of this is that of having a mental health professional is I go in nine up nine to ten homes, sometimes six homes a day. Every home is different. I can have a drug abuse, sexual abuse, domestic violence, all three in one home. I could have a child being neglected, no food in the house, all of these things in one single day. Mm -hmm. I got to sit with each client as if they're my first client for the day. I cannot tell them the other home I just went through because so, I don't want to hear that right now. I just heard about this sexual abuse. I don't want to hear that you don't have no food or I don't want to hear you were your boyfriend punched you in the face. So I don't want to hear your own drugs. I just came out of this home. No, right. we got to go to each home as if it's fresh, a fresh mind. Why we got to do that is because that's the job that we signed up for. Most definitely a choice for me, a choice and a passion. 
I have a therapist because I need somebody to spill this all off on everything I told you. Mm-hmm. I go to my therapist. First thing she say, and she's great. I found a therapist who meets my needs. I'm a Hispanic woman. I'm loud. I, you see, I'm talking with my hands. I'm animated. I cannot go to maybe an African-American therapist because they're not the same as, you know, my culture. So my therapist is Italian. Why? Because Italians are talk, talk just like me. They're forceful. They're this, they're that. Even my CPA is Italian. Because they tell me, come on, Janelle, stop with the BS. How was your day? Great. So she said, oh, so you're a therapist. How many visits you did? Six, five today. Not much. Three. So all all that they told you, Janelle, you're okay? And she breaks me down. Annie, I don't want to keep coming to tell you that this happened with this client, this happened. She said, well, when you spill off to me, I go to my therapist and spill off to my therapist. (laughs) How dope is that? So we're all helping each other. And that's why it's important to date your therapist. Date your pastor. And I'm not talking in a sexual way, guys, please. I'm talking more on get to know them. Hey, when I come to you and tell you all this, who do you go to? Who do you talk to? Because that means they're holding in everything. You done told them and you've been going to them. Every therapist needs a therapist. Every pastor needs a pastor. Every Buddha needs a Buddhist. Everyone needs somebody. If you believe that the chair is moving, the chair is helping you, that chair needs to have a backup chair to talk to after you lean on that chair. I know everything is what you identify as, what you do, what how you do it. Speak to somebody. That is my goal. Speak to someone do not suffer alone i say get a therapist i say get a coach i'm a therapist i have a therapist i'm a life coach i have a spiritual coach i have someone that helps me and all of these people are relatable now remember when i said my therapist is italian my cpa is italian my spiritual life coach is black Why did I choose that? Yes, race matters when we're choosing because I don't want to talk to no one who doesn't understand me, who have not walked a similar walk as I walk. That's what I mean, date them. You want to know. No, they're not going to tell you their life story, but you want to know certain things about them so that they can become relatable. You want to meet someone who is relatable. LP loves Janelle because Janelle is relatable. Now, go back to the, the guy coming to plumber or whoever. LP may can't talk paramedic talk to the plumber. He's like, look, sir, I'm into pipes. I'm going to unclog your pipe. I, I, I can't unclog your brain. So instead, he will use the plumber to unclog the pipes, right? And he would call his sister JS to help them with the mental stuff going on. That's a great analogy. And for me, I tell people all the time, you know, I have finite knowledge. We all do. I don't care if you're on the Mensa list, which is the top of the 
food chain when it comes to IQs or you're just one of 7.5 billion people who may not even have any education at all. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you just said. It's not about the academia. It's about your intellect in terms of you got to recognize this flesh and blood that you talked about. We need to seek help. Especially if you're dealing with situations like domestic violence, trafficking, sexual based offenses, if you're dealing with missing persons, whatever the abuse or the trauma is, especially for us that are professionals, we have to seek help. And there's been so many first responders who have committed suicides, mm. who have done homicides, mm. who have really messed up in their jobs because of the stuff that's going on with the job. A lot of us don't want to seek help because the job kind of comes at you in a sense and say, okay, we got the resources, but you know, I mean, this is the nature of the job. Like you can't take off every other day that you are supposed to work because you're getting five or six murders and maybe three or more kids. Like if you can't handle it, we get it. You might have to get another job. So, yeah. you know, you're dealing with people that are getting raped and molested and all this stuff or whatever. That's going to take a toll on you. And if you can't handle it, that's okay. What's not okay is not seeking the help. And that's why we're talking about transitioning to self-care at the domestic violence and sexual violence with Janelle. Because even for the professional we are not immune to trauma. We are not immune to the stuff that we see. I would go on call sometimes, Janelle, and I'm going to tell you this before we go to the next topic. I totally agree with what you're saying. I would go on calls, and it would be some of the worst living situations in the world. I'm talking about I had a patient one time who was one of the worst hoarders that I've ever experienced in my 15 years. Wow. The smells from that house, and that was like maybe our sixth call of that day on a 12-hour wow. shift, and we were doing probably averaging a, a call an hour. So I got at least six more calls, maybe five. That smell from that house was on me all the rest of the shift. <laughs> I didn't have time to really change uniforms because I didn't bring her extra I had one. It was at the uh, matter of fact. I had one. It was at the locker uh, at the base, but and we were running, you know, balls to the wall or whatever. So I mean, unless it was something really gross on me, like blood or human feces or whatever, I couldn't change or whatever. But I'm sitting there, and that kept me in that mindset of what was going on with this lady because she had experienced all kind of traumas like DV mm -hmm. and SV and all this stuff or whatever. That wore on me for years in my wow. mind. It didn't stop me. It didn't hurt me. I didn't have to seek help. But it's something that always flashes in my head because I'm like, oh, my God. The first thing that comes to my mind is that smell. The second thing oh. is this lady was hurting so bad on so many levels. And we didn't even get her for a trauma situation. It was something totally different. But in the course of the job, being an assessor, 
you find out, like you said, the why. I'm a Y paramedic, W-H-Y. I need to know what's going on with you. What's what's the foundation? How did you get to where I got to come and help you? And when we found out, I was like, damn, I'd probably be a hoarder too if I went through what she went through. So I'm so glad you said that. We're going to move on because you mentioned something that is super duper serious on top of all the super duper serious stuff. <laughs> and that is opioid addiction. You yes. are a certified Narcan trader. Me being a paramedic, I'm telling you, Janelle, I was giving out Narcan like it was Tic Tacs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because it was so bad. I'm from St. Louis. That's where I worked in practice. I live mm-hmm. in Charlotte now. It was so it was bad, bad where we worked that, man, I'm telling you, for people that you've, well, let's talk about your training as a Narcan trainer. Tell us about that because we're going to, I want to tie sure. it into domestic violence and sexual violence. So, how did you sure. by Narcan training? Just remember that you said I'm human, right? Yes. You remember when you said that? Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm going to make it make sense. On May 11th, 2021, I lost my dad to a drug overdose. I've been a social worker for 18 years. So let's be clear. My father used drugs my entire life, as long as I can remember. Opioids. His drug of choice was heroin. I was angry with my dad because he overdosed. I'm sorry. I was angry with my dad because he relapsed. He relapsed. He was living in my home because my mother passed in 2018. I was so angry that I let my anger get the best of me. I did not go check on my dad. I didn't even care if he went to the bathroom. I went and got some plastic, some surgery done to my neck. I got my tags moved, removed. Tags of moles. I got that removed. That's considered like plastic, like surgery. Your cosmetics, not plastic, cosmetic. Cosmetic. I say plastic, cosmetic. I'm not plastic, cosmetic. And um, I'm downstairs. I realized my dog didn't get walked. I actually opened my dad's door and grabbed the dog and didn't pay him any mind because my anger got the best of me. I walked the dog. I'm on the phone with my baby sister. Like, I didn't see daddy come down. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm still talking to her uh, downstairs cleaning my house. She said, well, Janelle, you think you're going to go check on him? Nope. I'm done with him. I'm angry with him. When I finally, she's like, Janelle, go upstairs. I said, well, stay on the phone with me just in case me and him start arguing. Well, there was no one to argue with LP. My father was deceased. My Narcan was, guess where? In my car. I have a flight of stairs. I jumped down that flight of stairs, grabbed that Narcan, and Narcan my dad. He was already gone, to be very, very honest with you. There was nothing I could do. But as a child, remember, I'm not a a, a social worker in this realm of my life. I am this man's child. And I did CPR, did whatever it took to save him. I could not save my dad. While I was creating, um, while I was making his funeral arrangements, 
um, I, Sutton said, look on your email. It said, if you live or work in Poughkeepsie, you could become a substance abuse recovery coach. And in the back of my mind, I said, how many people left the Narcan in their car? So while I'm becoming a substance abuse recovery coach, I applied for it. I'm like, I work in Poughkeepsie. Let me try. When I applied for it, LP, it took months for them to call me back. So I didn't know I got the grant. Um, I was like, well, I need to be a Narcan trainer because where I went wrong, 50 million other people gone wrong. And like you said, you were giving out Narcan like um, Tic Tacs. So that means people probably had the Narcan in their home. And probably when the police came and looked, they found Narcan. Nobody had it next to them, just like me. I was trained to keep the Narcan on me, but left it in my car. Because I'm like, I don't know. I ain't saving nobody. Uh, listen, I'm leaving that up to the paramedics and the police. Yes, I did say that. I said, I got to become a Narcan trainer. And right then and then, I called up Lexington Center for Recovery. I said, look, my dad died. A lot of people could have been saved. If they know a person relapsed, let's look into harm reduction opposed to just say no. Thank you, Nancy Reagan. That does not work with opioids. Thank you. Does not work. We appreciate your, your, your intention, but no. Had I thought and had the knowledge of, hey, dad, you relapse, keep your door open. Hey, dad, you relapse, here goes some Narcan. Even though you're going to sit in your room and get high, I don't want to watch that. But this is what needs to be done. So I became a Narcan trainer. And ever since then, I trained over 300 people in Narcan since 2021. That is amazing. Here's why I wanted to highlight your certification as a Narcan trainer, because we know all too well that in homes where there's a person who's addicted to a drug and or alcohol, but in this instance, specifically a drug like an opioid, that plays a huge part in domestic violence and sexual based offenses in a number of ways. There are people that will take their kids and sell them to someone for drugs. There are people that will get on these substances and because they're high a lot of times, and I don't have a number when I say a lot of times, I'm just saying there are situations that we know of where they only assault that person when they're under the influence. We know that there are cases where someone who has an opioid addiction will rob their own house. They would steal from their kids. They would steal their kids' video game systems and sell them. You know, all kind of stuff or whatever. The, the kids may have a job in the evenings or whatever, and they're making that kid give them all of their money that they earn so they can buy drugs or more drugs or what have you. That leads to domestic violence because of the, you know, people got to think that domestic violence is not just physical abuse. It's a whole spectrum. So for you being someone, and I want to talk about that real quick before we go to the next thing, for you being someone who teaches people how to use Narcan, 
when you're talking to these individuals, how much do you touch the domestic violence and sexual violence aspect of it? Because I know you're not really focusing on that, but it's hard to leave it out. Yeah, I know it is. Um, when you're doing these trainings, what you're realizing is that you are um, you are speaking to people. And as you're speaking to them, they start telling you other traumas of why they use drugs. A lot of people self-medicate, just like um, mental health. You know, people don't want to take their mental, their psychotropic medication, they'll take drugs. Um, the same with substance abuse. They're trying to mask what has happened. So it's most definitely trauma-based. It could be sexual abuse. You know, he touched me, my, my own dad. I had a baby by my dad, which resulted in them using drugs. So never think that people wake up and say, today is the day I'm going to be a crackhead. Today is the day I'm going to use heroin. Today is the day I'm going to sniff some cocaine. That's not how life works. A lot of people think that because I know you've heard, well, why don't they just stop using drugs if they know the effects? It's not that easy. It's not that easy. It's mentally straining. It's a lot on the people. So you're going to, when you're, when you're dealing with substance abuse, mental health, you're going to find sex trafficking, um, you're going to find sex trafficking, you're going to find domestic violence, and you're going to find mental health. As soon as you have a conversation with them, other traumas which triggered the behavior happens. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. Think about it. Even think about it like the little things that we do. I like ice cream. Why do you like ice cream? Because you remember your parents taking you to the ice cream parlor to get ice cream. It's the same with mental health. It's the same with domestic violence. It's the same with all these things that we get addicted to these things because we remember something, something triggered it. we got a few more minutes that I want to talk to you about this transitioning to self-care. What I thought about, and I think this is a very important conversation that we need to have regularly. Like, seriously, we really need to have it regularly because we're just scratching the surface. And you know how I always use that iceberg analogy. So we've turned that iceberg upside down today. The next time you and I do an interview, we're going to keep that iceberg underwater. I got some scuba gear for us. And we're really going to deep dive into some of this stuff because, again, you know, this will be a four-hour podcast. And I'm not going to do it for a four-hour. I'll break it up into four parts before I do a four-hour so so we're going to do another we're going to definitely do an ongoing series and i've been working on doing ongoing series with certain people because again the expertise level from certain individuals i really appreciate and it's needed so we talked about the children and we talked about professionals and we talked about the adults what i want to talk about is the strangers I want to talk about the stranger danger when it comes to domestic violence and sexual violence. For you, Miss Certified and Licensed Professional, what do you say about this stranger danger 
as you see it from your professional point of view when it comes to domestic violence and sexual violence? Here's why I'm asking the question. Not only did we have this situation with the pandemic where everybody was sheltering in place, now the world is starting to open back up. Now kids are starting to get back inside. So now you got all these people who may have had issues before the pandemic. Now the pandemic happens. Now those issues have multiplied maybe exponentially. Now they're back out in the world. You got people that may have been on the cusp of doing some stuff. But now after the pandemic, they like, whoo, I can't wait to get outside because, whoo, man, I've been doing all kind of research and stuff these last two years. I'm already in jacked up. How do you deal with that? When I think of stranger danger, you know, we, we were taught not to speak to strangers and stuff. But what if strangers are the only ones that can help us? It's It's like twofold. Um, I know more people feel more comfortable speaking to strangers opposed to their family members as well, because speaking to a stranger, they don't know you. They come from a non-judgmental world. You know, if, if you call me and say, you know, Janelle, Mrs. LP, um, she cut her toenails every night. I'm sick of sleeping with toenails. I don't know her. So what I would say is, you know, like, well, why? Right. And I want to know more. Now, if you talk to Mrs. LP cousin, she would look at you like you got five heads. Like you married her. What the heck wrong with you? You knew that and leave it. Right. So you would rather talk to me because I'm considered a stranger. Right. Right. So it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. Now that everybody is out, I would say people need to be cautious because mental illness, homelessness, we're dealing with a lot and we didn't even touch on that. So we one day need to touch on the homeless. Um, We got everybody outside. Is it safe? Is the question. No, is the answer. Right now, every community is hit with police brutality, gun violence, robberies, the adults are being attacked. So it is a lot. It's a lot. Janelle, we're going to put a pin in it. I want you to give that lady a hug because, you know, we love our 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 esteemed elder that you take care of on a daily basis. I'm at her house now. <laughs> at her house now. And I saw part of her. In, 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 yeah. No, yes, I take. Well, you know what? This is a great um, live because I'm going to tell you something, LP. It shows how many hats that we all wear. Um, my neighbor is 101. She's part of the video, so we might as well talk about it. I take care of a 101-year-old lady when I am working from home. Mm-hmm. So two days a week, I work from home. I sit at her home, and I take care of her. That's awesome. And that shows the humanitarian. You know, people are like, oh, well, you know, she can pay. It's not about the money because you could be working five days a week doing the stuff that you do outside of the home, outside of her home. This is about helping someone that that needs the help. And so I admire anyone who does Thank that. Thank you. And I'm telling you, I want to move on. I got one more question for you. 
or two more. So this is our shameless plug section. So I want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. But before I do that, I got one question for you. And I ask everybody this. If Janelle could write a letter or an email to her younger self at whatever age, it's up to you. What would she say? Wow. If I could write a letter to my younger self, I would write, Janelle, you know, your life experiences will teach you how to help others, how to be there for others. Growing up as a child, I thought that everything I've been through was like a why me? Why does this happen, have to happen to me as a child? You know, like you said, living with an addict, you know, you go to sleep to a TV, you wake up to no TV, right? And you go to sleep to money, you wake up to no money. Things, you know, my father exhibited addict behavior. Um, That letter to myself would be, your why is coming when you get older. I think that would have been so comforting to me because now I know my why. I'm not just a social worker. I'm not just a self-care life coach. I'm not just a Narcan trainer. I am a person who have experienced some hard times in their life. And because of those hard times, I am relatable. That is why when my clients see me out here, you know, on these platforms or see me in the news because um, someone's featuring my story, they go, you are really a real person. And as a child, I didn't know that. I was more on why me? Why is this only happening to me? I want to live like the Jeffersons. I want to be different strokes. I want to live in those places. I want to move it on up. I move it on up. But thank you. Yes. You know, this is just awesome. I'm telling Janelle. I already got the name of the series. It's just going to it's going to be so part two will be transitioning to self-care with uh, domestic violence and sexual violence, colon, homelessness. Because we got to talk about our homeless population. They're human beings. They need and deserve respect, humanity and help. And a lot of times we get into these mindsets, oh, this person is a bum or this person just is lazy or this person is just an addict. It's like there's so many layers to that. You don't even oh, know. Yes, and I agree. And that's why I said we're going to scratch. We're going to deep dive because yeah. we put scuba gear on for real, for real. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Real deep in this next one that we're going to be doing. So how can people get in touch with you? Danielle? What what? You know, give us some numbers, give us some social media. I'll have all this stuff listed, at least two links. Yes. So, guys, the way that you can get in contact with me is Google me, JS Self Care. Um, See all the amazing things that I have going on as far as Instagram. Um, I have a YouTube, JS Self Care. Um, I have a podcast. the Mind, Body, and Soul podcast, JS Self Care Mind, Body, and Soul podcast. I have so many things going on that I want to connect with you guys. Um, Facebook, JS Santana. Um, they don't allow me to change it to JS Self Care, but I do have a business Facebook page as well, which is JS Self Care. 
Instagram, JS Self Care. I guarantee if you Google JS Self Care, you will see all the work that I'm doing and trying to change. So I hope to connect with all of you. All right. And like I said, your 10K card for those that are watching the screen, I have your 10K card on the screen. I have your IG listed on the other side of our logo. We'll have at least those two links on the show notes or in the show notes for those that will want to get in touch with you. I want to thank you so much, Janelle. Again, we're going to talk maybe later on this afternoon about yes. planning for the part two. I'm going to let you get back to our esteemed elder. And yes. I'm going to continue talking about this missing young lady. But I want to thank you. I love you so much. Peace and blessings. Love you more. You and everyone else in your circle. LP, Thank out. you. Okay, <laughs> LP. Thank you, guys. I hope you enjoy it. So that was Janelle. And I'm telling you guys, if you have not thought about it, go seek help because she is someone who is amazing, 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 amazing. Did I say amazing? Amazing, 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 amazing. I'm going to move over to the last segment here. And this is about a young lady. Her name is Pretty, but she spells it P-R-I-T-I. Pretty Ashley Porter. This is a story from the Charlie Project. And Miss Porter has been missing since 09. Uh, I'll put the link of this story in the show notes like we do with all the missing persons cases. And remember, 99% of the missing persons cases that we do are black and brown men, women, and children. They can be kidnapped, abducted, or run away. If they are not missing, but they died under some suspicious circumstances, and their killer or killers have not been brought to justice where they're arrested in court tried convicted or what have you we will we will highlight those individuals because it's all about justice with us we want to bring the same energy and media coverage to those individuals in their stories so again pretty ashley porter missing since april 19th 2009 from Gastonia, North Carolina, which literally is probably maybe a 30-minute drive from where I am here in Charlotte. It's probably not even that far. Uh, she's classified as endangered missing, sex female, race black. She was born April 2nd of 87, so 35, uh, age 22 years old when she was missing. Height 5'3", 140 to 150 pounds. Clothing and jewelry description, a 14-karat gold necklace with her name Pretty, P-R-I-T-I, a 14-karat gold necklace with a heart pendant, gray sneakers, possibly jeans, and a black T-shirt with the words, in quotes, put it, put a ring on it, like the uh, Beyonce song, put a ring on it. Distinguishing characteristics, African-American female, black hair, brown eyes, Porter occasionally wears eyeglasses, but she does not have her glasses with her. Her ears are pierced one time each. She has a tattoo on her butt, a burn scar on her left hand between the thumb and the forefinger, and a mole in the middle of her forehead. She goes by her middle name, Ashley. Here are the details of her disappearance. Porter was last, last seen in Gastonia, North Carolina, which is Gaston County. 
North Carolina on the evening of April 19, 2009. She lived with her mother and stepfather on Windy Hill Drive. The day after dinner, Porter spent time on the internet and then went to speak to a neighbor. At 10 o'clock p.m., she came home and told her mother good night. Now, we're on Eastern time, so all these times are Eastern. The next morning, her mother wanted to get a coat out of Porter's closet and knocked on her bedroom door, which was locked. When she got no answer, she had Porter's father open the door and they found the bedroom window screen missing and Porter gone. She has never been heard from again and all of her belongings, including her purse, cell phone, clothes, and money were left behind. Porter's mother believes she climbed out of her bedroom window that night to speak to someone and planned to return home within a short time. She didn't report her daughter missing until April 27 because she believed Porter was probably with friends. According to Porter's family, one of her ex-boyfriends was abusive and wasn't welcome at the house as a result. Porter's mother speculated that he, knowing that the family wouldn't let him in if he knocked on the front door, came to Porter's window on the night of her disappearance and got her to leave with him. This person has not been identified and it's unclear if he was involved in Porter's case. And lastly, Porter graduated from Ashbrook high school in 07 and worked manufacturing jobs afterwards. Her family stated she didn't use drugs or drink much alcohol at the time of her disappearance and has never been in trouble with the law. Little information is available in her disappearance, but foul play has been suspected. Now this story from the charlieproject.org has been updated three times since October 12, 2004. It was last updated January 5th, 2019, with a picture added with the distinguishing characteristics and details of her disappearance updated. So everything that I read to you has been updated as late as January 5th of 2019. I will post this link in the show notes for this particular episode at the bottom, like all the other missing persons uh, links that we have listed for each show. Again, pretty Ashley Porter, who goes by Ashley, missing since 09 from Gastonia, North Carolina. If you have any information, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent about her whereabouts, contact the Gastonia Police Department at 704-866-6879. Again, if you have any information about Pretty Ashley Porter. Contact the Gastonia, North Carolina Police Department, 704-866-6879. Again, this source is the charlieproject.org. They have a lot of missing persons on their website. It's a great resource. We use them a lot when we do our missing persons cases. Again, I want to thank you for joining the Trigger One and Talk podcast. We have uncensored conversations. We exchange information and we provide a ton of resources. If you are triggered at any point during this podcast, including up to now, because we've been on here for over an hour, please contact 911. That's how you start the resource allocation in terms of finding resources and the documentation procedures. For me, I want to thank you all. And again, please leave a, a review. This podcast will be across all streaming platforms when it's released, including Audible, and it will be available on video on Spotify and our YouTube channel, which is Pence and Penny Consultant Solutions, LLC. 
where we always, always, always have great discussions about some serious stuff. And at the end of the day, it's not a matter of if, but when and where one of these incidents may happen, whether it's trafficking, domestic violence, sexually based offenses, or missing persons. Thank you so much. Live in awareness, never live in fear. And until next time, I'm LP. LP out.